Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Good morning, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. Today, we have with us Caroline Joseph, who is the Director of Operations for a Dresden Nuclear Power Station. Before we get started, I want to mark the day. It is September the 9th, 2021. And we're thrilled to have Caroline with us. Caroline, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Valerie. I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to participate in this. This is such a great opportunity for us. You were introduced to us by uh, one of our colleagues, the Associate Director for the NESC, Jerry Jenkins. And we've had a conversation for today just in preparation and, and we're all very excited. You're such a, an impressive individual and we've um, gone over your CV and your bio and preparation. So today's really exciting. And for us, just as a reminder to our audience, the whole purpose of having these conversations through the path of most persistence is to hear uh, stories from some of our colleagues, our friends, and maybe even our associates that have uh, compelling stories of overcoming obstacles with persistence and diligence and hard work. And um, just to bring about some of those stories to share with some of our uh, audience that are maybe younger, our K-12 students, and maybe some of our colleagues that are a little bit more veteran like myself. So, and with that being said, can you tell us a little bit about what you do as the, uh, the director of operations and maybe a little bit about how you got there? Absolutely, Valerie. So as the director of operations, um, I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of both of the units at uh, Dresden. So um, we have equipment operators, licensed reactor operators, licensed senior reactor operators, reactor engineers, as well as our chemistry department that all reports up through me as the director. So we get to touch all the plant equipment and make sure that you know it operates safely and error-free every day. So. Um, I got into this position where I currently am um, based on um, where I started in the industry. Um, so I joined the company that I've been with for about 15 years ago. Um, I started very briefly as a core design engineer and realized very quickly that I'm much more of a hands-on type of individual. So I wanted to get to a plant and um, went to a plant in South Central Illinois as a reactor engineer. And I um, did that role for a little bit, and you know, I'm I'm, one, I'm the type of individual where if I am not constantly busy and challenged, I get bored. I am not my best employee and my best engaged employee when I'm not constantly challenged. So after kind of learning the routine and um, doing that for uh, two years, I knew I wanted to make a change and uh, get my operator's license. And um, at that plant, we had never had a woman that had been licensed previously. So it was a pretty big goal of mine to get that license. And uh, so I went to license class and uh, received my license in 2009. So depending on where you are, it's an 18 to 24 month program that completes with a exam that's administered by the government. Um, it's a written exam and a simulator performance exam that lasts about two weeks. So got my license and was licensed for about eight years and worked my way up through operations management and um, 
had to be pried away from Op to go experience a different portion of the company and um, went to be the outage manager responsible for managing refueling outages, forced outages, and all that preparation. Um, did that for a couple years, then was the work management director, which is responsible for managing all the work that's done, whether it's online or in an outage at the plant, and then transferred to a different station, which is the current station I'm at now as the engineering director, which was a little intimidating because even though I have an engineering degree, I really wasn't, have not used it um, in that capacity. So did that role and am now the operations director. Okay, I'm exhausted. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so impressive. And I started taking notes of all of the items that I wanted to follow up on, but I think I ran out of paper. <laughs> that is so impressive. I, I I guess because this is the path of most persistence, I just I just want to hear right off the bat, how is it? And especially 15 years in in a particular you know business or site. It can, and all the changes that you've had, the positions, the roles, the responsibilities, um, how, do you, how have you been able to maintain and adjust and pivot all the things and still maintain your level of passion? Because surely being anywhere for 15 years, you have uh, you know, the, the flows of uh, passion and desire and encouragement and then just because life is life, sometimes it's not as fun or uh, you don't feel quite the spirit uh, to be where you are and the position you are for so long. So how is it that you've just been able to maintain, to pivot, to grow in a certain location for that amount of time? Yeah, I, um, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, it is really important to me to just constantly learning. Um, and I think regardless of the position, you know, there's been some positions that I've had that, you know, were not by choice, um, but it was to develop a specific, you know, talent and attribute skill set that I would need to be successful down the road. Um, so it was really important to, as part of being that lifelong learner, even if it was something I did not want to do, you know, what can I get out of this? You know, what can I take from it? Who can I develop? You know, that became more important the the further along I went in my career, you know, the higher that I, I went up in management was sometimes it wasn't about what I was going to get out of it, but who can I take with me and develop them so that they get out of it what will be important for their career, which is almost more motivating than, you know, getting things out of it for myself. That's, that's certainly, as I've progressed in my career, something that is I have much more passion around than maybe I did, you know, starting out, um, seeing the, the benefit of watching someone else succeed and, and do the things that, you know, I see that they have that potential and then seeing it actually come into fruition is, um, you know, pretty incredible to experience and has a, a whole lot of, you know, rewards that come with it personally for me. Caroline, I so um, love what you're saying, and I feel so simpatico right now because of maybe not only your history, but also uh, it seems like your philosophy on things. And and I apologize because I'm going to hip hop and zigzag uh, from some of the things that you're saying uh, from where I want to go because I'm trying to keep in mind our audience and and what I'm who I'm thinking of right now are uh, our younger audience maybe those uh, that are currently in maybe high school and you've mentioned uh, several things that I want to touch on uh, earlier you mentioned on your 
your love or how you love, you thrive off of change, needing to change. Uh, you mentioned being a lifelong learner and also developing those around you. And I know that's a lot, but I have a story here. I want, I want to get to it all is gonna make sense. One thing about when we work with young people, uh, and it could be students in high school or maybe those that are in college or just newly graduated. Sometimes they get very frustrated with um, the process. Sometimes they wanna grow, move along the ladder much faster than sometimes they feel uh, that maybe their colleagues think they should, or maybe uh, they're just frustrated by the process. Sometimes also um, they forget that life, to have a perspective of uh, wanting to be a lifelong learning learner is going to benefit them. It's not just once you leave the classroom or leave the campus, it's really a skill set. It's a characteristic that would really benefit them in every aspect of their life, just not only personal, but professionally. And also there's this, th this third point when working with young people, I know when we work with students, uh, sometimes they get a little frustrated with um, adults around them that sometimes they feel hard on them. They feel like, okay, ease up. It's not a big deal. Why are you focusing on things that aren't as important? But for those that are really trying to grow them, um, we do uh, spend pay special attention to details and, and why things matter. So for you in, in your own personal life about liking to change and pivot and wanting to be that lifelong learning, learner and also giving back, trying to grow those around you, how is it that we can better uh, communicate those desires to the people that are around us, especially young people, that those three, very distinct, but to me, they all kind of mesh, those three aspects that you talk about, that you clearly demonstrate, how is that that we can better communicate uh, the importance of those three areas um, that, that you use in your life? Yeah, so that's a that's a great um, question, Valerie, and I, I I deal with that quite often with some of the you know newer folks we bring into the organization that I mentor, and that especially the ones that are very passionate and have a huge trajectory in front of them. You know, they are very driven, very aggressive. You know, they want to they like challenge, they want to accomplish things, and they want to just keep on you know moving up. And um, I was one of those people. You know, when I first started out, it was, um, I was so hungry to learn and to accomplish things that, um, you know, I, I wanted to, um, you know, get in, you know, different positions or higher level positions. And I really, um, you know, had a vision set a long time ago based on some things I experienced that in my mind required me to be in a higher level of position so that I could influence the change that I wanted to see. So it was really important to me to get higher in the organization in an in a expeditious manner so that I could implement some of that change and influence what I wanted to see differently um, and didn't really have any regard to what the experiences along the way, how important they were going to be and how impactful they'd be to my effectiveness in whatever role it is I want to be in at the end of my career. So if I wanted to be a plant manager, 
while I might have the, the technical background that would make me successful in a technical aspect, that's not what a plant manager is, right? Um, you're no longer a technical expert. It's about setting vision and culture and developing people. And um, in order to do that effectively and in order to relate to people and to you know, be authentic, you have to have experienced things to, to make you the most well-rounded, effective leader that you could possibly be. So while I probably could have more expeditiously gone up the ladder, it could have affected my career because I wouldn't be effective at the things that matter most the higher you get up in, you know, in the organization. So it becomes so much more important to be able to relate to people to understand how all of the cogs in the machine fit together um, in order to function. And if you have not experienced, you know, a, a, a wide um, array of, you know, failures or, you know, um, opportunities or other departments or you name it, and you haven't worked with people of all different backgrounds, um, you you could fail. And, and that could, you know, um, affect your career when it shouldn't need to. You probably have the potential to to be the CEO or the potential to be a senior VP, but um, you could negatively af affect that and your ability to be successful and achieve that role all because you moved up too quickly and didn't have all those experiences to make you the most effective. Um, and I find sometimes we don't do a good job of explaining the why to the younger folks on, on why am I giving you this opportunity and when, what do I think you're going to get out of it and what do you want to get out of it. We just say, you're going to go do this. And I've been in that position where, you know, you're going to go do this job and I don't know what I'm getting out of it. And certainly afterwards, I'm pretty self-reflective and I can see the things I got out of it, but it would have been much more effective for my development to have had someone explain the why Here's what you're going to get out of it. And we leave that out a lot. And I think if we just took the time to communicate that with some of our, you know, newer or younger folks, that it would be much more intentful on the development opportunity. And they'd see how it would all fit together to, to get them where they want to go and then to be successful in that role once they get there. That's that's really wonderful. And it, I, think, I think we can all, no matter how... Um, sufficient or efficient we think we are at communicating. I think we can all get better in that respect. But um, I, I think it's really helpful, especially the way you phrase it, the way you put it, to, uh, to communicate, especially to our younger folks and, and those that are going through the system or new to a position that uh, it's always about being better uh, especially when you see, it's easy sometimes um, when you see so much in someone. Um, sometimes uh, it, you you you're sometimes harder on them because you you see all the potential. You see how good they are, and um, and you know the person receiving um, your your comments or your feedback doesn't always understand it. So you try to communicate that. And I think especially with young people, uh, students especially, that it's important, it's incumbent upon us to, to remember that, that we need to always stay in communication with them. So thank you for, for bringing that up. And um, I'm sure your team around you really appreciate that aspect about you. Yeah, and I would say just along that line of sometimes we're harder on, you know, people that we want to aggressively develop and we don't tell them the why. You know, I, I have been in a situation where 
I had a senior VP giving me what I felt like was very aggressive, pinpointed feedback that my peers weren't getting. You know, and and I wanted, I really wanted to sit back and say, well, why am I being treated differently? You know, when you know, I had a mentor say, well, did you ask him? And I said, well, no. <laughs> so I sat down and said, hey, I'm getting this feedback, and I don't understand why I'm being treated differently or why you're being, you know, so hard on me. And he said, because you're, you're an investment. You're worth the time to give you all of this feedback and to be nitpicky because I can see your potential and where you have the opportunity to go. And that's where I'm going to invest what little time I get every day. You know, so if, if I only get so much time, I'm going to invest it, you know, rather than giving some of this, you know, feedback to folks where I, I don't see that, you know, same trajectory. And so that gave me a perspective of why, you know, we tend to be a little more aggressive on, on folks and also the importance as a leader of explaining the why I'm doing this. And then as a person, asking the question, you know, if, if something doesn't make sense, don't just make assumptions. You have to validate those assumptions. Um, so that, that was an important development for me as well. Nice. So, so I wanted to ask kind of going along those lines, um, what what that VP said to you wasn't always the case uh, after reading some of some of your your biography and uh, presentation that you had made that you sent over. I was wondering if you could go elaborate a little bit more into some of that background and how you were able to uh, prove yourself in, in this industry. Yeah, so and so there have been, you know, experiences that I have had where I've been given feedback that, you know, wasn't valuable. Um, it was based on, you know, someone's perception of how someone who looks like me or someone who should fit in this box, if I want you to be an ops director, this is the way an ops director behaves. And, you know, that opinion is based off of people that look and think exactly like that individual. Um, because in, in this industry and, you know, where I've worked, there really aren't any other women. Um, uh, so diversity is, you know, where, while we're improving, um, you know, and a lot better than where we were, you know, even five years ago. Ten years ago when I came, you know, into a more of a management position, it was every role I had was I was the first female. So um, a lot of the feedback I got had to do with, the frequency of my voice or how high I was talking or what I wore to work and wearing leopard heels, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't make you, someone think, yeah, she is a manager at a nuclear power plant. And to me, that, that shouldn't have mattered. Um, so really, your results should speak for themselves. So very early in my career, um, that was really my, my mission was just to accomplish things you know, um, have favorable results and um, meet the impossible and accept challenges. And now that I've gotten into the position where I am, you know, providing that feedback on what people's perceptions are of folks that don't fit in the little box, you know, that's really become, that was my mission when I was 16 years old and, and um, had some experiences that made me decide that, my whole vision for my life was not about what position I would be in, but more that I wanted to be in a position where I could influence change and make things different for the women that come after me. So um, you've had a lot of opportunities to kind of shape culture and provide feedback that um, we're a much better team and have a much better culture when you 
include everybody, include people that are different from you, include different perspectives and ask for it. It's not just listening for it, but specifically asking to make folks, you know, give them that comfort that they can, you know, bring, be authentic, bring their whole self to work. And so that's, hopefully I answered your question um, and interpreted the way you wanted to go, but that is, um, that's, that's been my focus over the last few years. And that's, that's enjoyable because that was, that was my whole mission um, was to try to shape and change, you know, how we, how we do business and who fits in the box. That's awesome. And I wholeheartedly agree of the inclusion and uh, everybody uh, being kind of on the same playing field whenever you're you're considering them for different uh, tasks and and what their capabilities are. So uh, I appreciate that message. Um, one uh, follow up question is what what's the message that you tell you know females or those people that quote unquote don't fit in the box. Uh, whenever you're encouraging them or mentoring them uh, for different roles? Yeah, I, I always encourage folks to be unapologetically you. Um, we have come such a long way, you know, in the industry and, and in, in society in general that um, there's, there's no reason to not be, you know, unapologetically you. And um, when I was starting in my career and, and looking around and being the only female, not really having those allies, it was very hard for me to be myself. I really just wanted to adapt and fit in to try to get to a position where I felt I could better influence the change that I wanted to see. Um, and I really missed an opportunity to start influencing change earlier in my career. Um, I was raised to think that your ability to make decisions and to influence situations was position-based. And that's, that's not true at all. A leader is a leader. You know, it doesn't, it's not position-based. It's, you know, are you driving change and influencing others to make that change? So um, there were a lot of opportunities that I missed to affect culture earlier in my career because I felt that I had not earned that yet and that I was still trying to fit in to get into the right position. And it ended up affecting people that came after me. So my whole vision was I'm going to get in a position to influence change and change things so that people behind me don't have to go through it. And I didn't do that. I put them in the exact same situation because I kept waiting to get into this higher position to influence that change. So, you know, I always encourage people that you all should know what your leadership compass is. What do you stand for? Um, and don't ever waver on that. Um, every decision you make, everything that you do should surround around that leadership compass. And it doesn't matter if you're just starting out, if you've been with a company for 20 years, should know what that is and, and be willing to, um, you know, provide feedback and help shape where you want things to go so that, you know, we can achieve that. Because we're certainly not going to get where we want to be from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective if we aren't getting that input from the people that are experiencing it, right? They can't just, we can't wait until we're at a higher level. It's got to be now. So that's what I usually tell people that I'm mentoring. That is great. And that is powerful. And that is a really wonderful reminder to us all that, you know, we shouldn't wait. And just to also, um, like I like to say, never underestimate the power of your influence. Everyone has an influence. Everyone has an effect. Everyone has... Um, those that are watching them. Some may have a, a, a bigger crowd, so to speak, or a bigger audience, but we all have influence. Um, and so as soon, I think, as we uh, accept that 
and own that and utilize that influence for the good or what our intention is in the world, uh, the more satisfied we will be and the more we'll have an effect uh, in driving the changes we want to make. So, so thank you for that. I, I love the way uh, you phrased all of that. I do want to pivot just a bit because I'm trying to be mindful of time. Uh, although, again, you're, you're one of our guests that we'd love to have on forever and we might have to have you back for sure. But I, you also talk uh, or you demonstrated in one of your presentations, one of the PowerPoints I was looking at, you talked about uh, your personal life a bit, that you're a mother, um, you, you, know, you have a family, obviously, that you've come from, um, and you have responsibilities there. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the balance, so to speak, if there is a balance? Um, there's also that, uh, that old phrase, you can have it all. Are you one of those people that think you can have it all or you don't think you can? What is your philosophy on all of that? Yeah, that's a great question because my philosophy kind of changed as I went through new experiences, which is, again, is why it's important that everybody takes the time to have experiences so you can be as effective as you can be. But um, I think it all comes down to boundaries and priorities. Um, so I am a mother of three. I have a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. My husband stays at home, which is amazing. Um, that he is—he loves it, and he's so good at it. So our strengths and weaknesses complement each other. But um, you know, that's—that's that's been you know huge for you know for me in my career. And I understand that that's not an opportunity for everybody. So you know, what helped out earlier in my career before he you know stayed home is um, you know understanding what my priorities are between work and and home, um, and they all have to blend in together. You can't say, well, my priorities at work are these three, and then at home these are these three, because with technology, we don't live in a culture any longer where you can separate the two, right? You're available 24-7 with your phone um, and email, so um, you have to make sure that your priorities kind of mesh, so you know, priority has always been, I'm going to see my kids every day and that I'm going to support them in their activities and I want to be a part of their lives and I want to be there for mommy, son, you know, lunch day. And, um, and so that was priority one. So all of my decisions in my life needed to support that and that I couldn't be upset if priority four wasn't, was, was being affected by a decision to support priority one because I prioritized these things in this manner. So it helped me very early in my career, I was getting very frustrated that I couldn't everything as, you know, driven, passionate people we all are, you know, everything had to be the number one priority, and I would get frustrated when I couldn't do all of it at once, um, because I really like to manage a bunch of things all at once. Um, so I had to get more comfortable with, okay, what are the priorities, and how do I make decisions that support them? Um, so priority one was, you know, seeing my kids every day, and priority two was I wanted support um, so that I could continue with my career progression. And, you know, I had to decide whether, you know, how, how to make that happen, but also meet priority one. So there are some times where I've said no to opportunities because while it supported priority two, it hurt priority one. And that, that wasn't going to make me happy um, and it wasn't going to benefit my family, which was most important. So um, I, in the past, would have been mad that I had to turn down priority two options because of other things. But... Um, it really helped me 
digest, you know, my decision making so that I wasn't upset. You know, I, I got exactly what I wanted out of it. Um, so that's been huge, as well as getting more comfortable with saying, no, I, I can't do that, but here's what I can do. Um, and not saying you've got to come off, you know, curt or aggressive or anything, but there's, you know, hey, this is what I've got, and if you need this, here's when I can do that. And so if I've got, you know, a coaching my kids softball and she's got a game at 1500 understand you need this, I can, I can give it to you at 2000 tonight, and is that okay? Um, and sometimes it's not something, sometimes you work in nuclear power, it's a 24-7 industry, and, you know, the ops director things come up. So yeah, my family understands that occasionally there's going to be, a, you know, a, a plant transient and mommy's going to have to go into work. And I'm just very clear with communicating that, and they understand and they don't, you know, hold it against me because when I'm at home, that's their time. I don't look at my phone, I don't pull up my emails, um, and I make it very clear I have to get something done for work. I'm going to leave for like a half hour upstairs. I'll be back. So there's not mommy's distracted type of thing. So that was also really um, important. So I think if I were to summarize it, you know, it's those boundaries and being comfortable with saying, I can't do it now, but here's what I can do, and not feeling guilty about it, not feeling guilty about taking vacation time. That's, that's your time, right? And, um, and boundaries and having that support um, and finding, you know, those allies and uh, that that can help you and encourage you to to um, you know take the actions that you need. Uh, Caroline, I was gonna ask a question uh, related to uh, maybe sending you back 15, 16 years or 20 years because <laughs> you are talking to uh, a group of students who are considering what to do with their lives. And I'm asking you to kind of remember being back in that stage because there's a lot of different opportunities in front of them, whether it's a nuclear engineering education like you walked through or other STEM education or trade education or even just going straight into trades. Um, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so as you now can look back on your um, university education, it'd be kind of interesting for, you, for me to hear you tell them what you got from it and what you did not get from it and, and that surprised you later when you got out in the real world and you actually realized, you know, I know stuff, but I don't really know anything about this. And, and then I guess the third point would be these different things you're talking about, about the, you know, people being critical of the tone of your voice or whatever aspect of the uh, things you've had to overcome in your career. Was any of that happening at the university level too, just to recognize that life is full of hills to climb. <laughs> and yes. things, to, things to overcome. And so talk to these uh, students in their freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year that are thinking about what to do and kind of try to walk through that from your perspective. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm like queen of the underdogs. <laughs> in high school, um, I really didn't have any support for what I wanted to do. I was good at science, good at math. I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> so um, I knew I needed to get an engineering degree. Um, and I knew if it did, you know, being an astronaut didn't work out, at least, you know, an engineering degree, I could do so many things with that and not even be an engineer like I am right now. Um, so I had a lot of folks teachers, guidance counselors, even after I got accepted into um, Purdue for engineering that um, 
told me I was going to fail and that I wasn't going to make it, um, not because I didn't have the grades, but my personality, from what I was told, is, you know, I, you're, you're going to be set up for, for failure, and um, so let's encourage you to go somewhere else. And um, that was hard because I didn't have enough confidence at that time to know that, no, like, I can totally do this, and you don't really know me that well. Like, nobody knows you better than yourself, so don't ever let somebody else that isn't you convince you anything different than, you know, what you know to be true about yourself, first of all. Um, but I went to college, and so I came from a very small high school where I got great grades and didn't really have to try. So I thought college was going to be the same way, and I was sorely mistaken. So I started out at Purdue, and um, I failed my first chemistry class, and I tried so hard. Like, I was doing all this extra work, getting with TAs, and it became very clear about the first week of school that this was supposed to be a refresher. And I didn't get any of this in high school. So it was going very quickly and far beyond what I was capable of digesting in that short amount of time. And so I was struggling in all of my classes, and I wanted to just quit. I said, you know what? These people were right. Oh, guidance counselor, teachers, they all knew better than me. So how disheartening that I don't even know myself. And so I came home and told my mom that I was done. I'm just going to go be a teacher, and I, I can't do this. Because I was also, I had a full-ride scholarship, and it was going to be taken away. Um, the scholarship committee said, you know, clearly this is far beyond your capacity, so you need to find a more appropriate major, and then we'll continue the scholarship. So I was like, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm going to lose my scholarship, so I'm going to quit. And my, my mother refused. She was my only support system. She refused. She's like, you have never failed at anything. Even when I thought for sure there's no way you were going to accomplish something, you did it. So why would you think you're going to fail? You will figure out how to do it, and you have not been exposed to this. That's why you're failing. So you're going to keep trying. And you would also not be a good teacher, Caroline. So, so, um, so I went back. I lost my scholarship. I retook all those classes, and I got you know A's. And, um, and it became very clear that it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough. I just wasn't exposed to it. Um, so I, I would say in, in that regard, don't you first of all, you know yourself better than anybody else. And um, don't discount yourself. If you want to do it, you will figure out a way to do it. And it might take trying a different major, you know, a different engineering discipline, or you might go to college two years and realize, like, I don't know that I want to be an astronaut anymore, which is exactly what I did. And I changed my major to nuclear engineering because it seemed pretty cool. Um, so it's hard to be that young and walk into college and know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Um, and so change. If, you, if you're two years in and it's just not sitting well with you, um, there's no shame in changing. I did have to go an extra semester to you know, catch up on classes since I changed my major, um, but it was, it was worth it in the end. Um, I would have much rather do that and spend an extra semester than you know, come out and be miserable and end up having to either go back to school or be stuck in an industry that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, so... That's kind of, um, you know, the, the high school and, and college perspective. And I will say, coming into my first job out of college, um, I was like, all right, let's, you know, neutron diffusion equation. We're going to do some, like, absorption calcs. This is going to be great. And that's, like, not, that's not at all what I, what I was doing. Um, so I had really no experience with how the real world worked. And that also challenged my ability to 
visually put everything together in college. So if there's anything I could say about experiences in college, it would be to have co-ops, do internships, get real-world experience of what a relay looks like. So when you're sitting in an electrical engineering class, like it's not just a little piece, thing on a piece of paper, right? You, you physically have seen it you know, in a facility. It, it will make much more sense. And I wish I would have done that. Instead, I did all of my internships in, in, the, uh, in the steel mill. Um, because that's where my family worked. And so when I came out, I had no real-life application of what I was going to be doing. And it made college a lot harder, for me at least. Um, so a lot of times you will come out of college and it, you won't be doing the things that you were, <laughs> you were trained to do. Um, but that will be essentially laying a foundation of um, base knowledge that you will need to build off of to be successful as you go out into the working world. So that's the way I would look at it is that unless you're doing design, you know, work or things that are very, you know, specific to, you know, that that area, it's mostly going to be a, a foundation that you will use as a platform for the rest of your career. Hopefully that answered your question. No, that's all very good. And just as a point of solidarity, my freshman year I failed communications. Uh, and yet I, I, I do that for a living now. Um, and so it's, uh, it's not about that first fall, it's about how you get up. And that was a, a great way to respond to the question. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much uh, for your time, uh, Caroline. Uh, I, I think your story is, is really inspiring. And I, I think a lot of our students will be able to, um, or those that, that listen, regardless if they're students or uh, incoming professionals or, or young, um, young adults, that they, they can listen to these words and apply it to uh, their professional and personal lives. So I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, are there any other questions that we have? I know probably Dr. Segovia has a, a final word. I do, I, ca I can't help myself. Caroline, before you leave us today, I, I want to know uh, maybe just a bit of wisdom, a little bit of mentorship that you can, your parting words that you can leave with us. I'm thinking about um, students, um, professionals, young professionals, mid-level, older professionals, just in those, those challenges that we all come across. Because unfortunately, even um, as we get older, we are still sometimes faced with the, the prejudice. And what I mean by prejudice, people just prejudging us before they get to know uh, our, our knowledge, our skill level, sometimes um, just by your appearance, again, as you um, were talking about earlier. How, um, how is it that, uh, what words of wisdom can you provide us that would help those going through those levels of frustration where you feel undervalued, underappreciated, but to keep going forward, no matter your age, no matter your gender or, or the, you know, the exact situation, but just feeling underappreciated, undervalued, uh, misunderstood, and to keep going forward. Yeah, I... I will say this was definitely a challenge for me, um, and, and and sometimes I'm still challenged with it, and I have to kind of remind myself and, and ground myself in what I tell everyone else, um, is that you, especially if you're in the nuclear industry um, or, nu or industries where there's high risk or a lot at stake, 
we we don't accept anything but perfection. Um, so we're ten, we tend to um, have this subconscious mindset that I expect everything to be perfect, and I expect that I'm going to be treated perfectly, and I expect that I'm going to be perfectly acknowledged for the things that I'm doing well and um, recognized and um, we aren't perfect, and we work with people, and people aren't perfect. We all, you know, we all make mistakes, and, um, you know, it's important to recognize that everyone, including our society and culture, and especially depending on where you work, that culture might be 25 years behind everybody else. This is a journey, right? You're you're part of the journey to, um, you know, to someone else developing, to a culture developing, to a society developing. We're, you're somewhere, regardless of where you are, in this journey of seeking constant improvement. Because you're never going to achieve perfection. It's not possible. You're always going to be on a journey of improvement. So I think it's important to step back in those moments and think, okay, you know, this I could take this very personally, or I could provide this person some feedback, or I could ask, you know, why why did you say that or do you do you know ask questions do you, do you do you know what I'm doing or have I have I articulated what it is that I've accomplished or whatever it may be seek to understand is, is what I would recommend um, it's so easy to assume the worst um, especially if you're a diverse individual um, it is very easy to fall back and think something's being done because of the way I look you know my gender whatever it may be and more often than not, it's not. Um, or it could be a secondary bias that somebody doesn't even realize they have because this is just the world we've grown up in. So we have to constantly try to check and adjust and, and be a part of that change. So um, I would not, I would acknowledge that some people have a certain perception and in most of the time you can to provide feedback or try and encourage a, a change in that perception, um, but it's not going to benefit you by any means to assume, you know, ill will or to come back at it with the same kind of negative energy because um, that's just going to make two unhappy people, you know, and at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I'm doing what I can to control my happiness. So um, developing people and providing that feedback and helping shape culture and not get bogged down with the way things currently are, I can, I can shape that. It may take a long time. Um, but I can help shape that. So that kind of is, you know, what motivates me. And I would say, you know, being authentic. Um, you always, always be authentic to who you are and, you know, be authentic with folks. Be transparent. Um, don't try to be somebody that, that you're not. Um, we are a much better society, much better college, much better company, um, by having different diverse perspectives. If we all think the same way, you're going to get to a certain level and you're not going to get it any higher because you're going to keep getting the same results with the same input. So by having different perspectives, that, that's, that's what makes us grow. So be true to who you are, and um, I, I would never, ever change who you are you know, to, to fit in and try to fit to a mold. Thank you. That was wonderful. Just perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Caroline. Uh, I think... Uh, like I said before, it's just uh, awesome to speak with you today and really appreciate your time with us. I really appreciate having the opportunity. So thank you all very much. It was great. All right. So uh, that's going to close us out for today. Uh, so please uh, you know, check out our other 
uh, podcast for the path of most persistence and our other amazing speakers. Uh, catch you next time.